from his master. He set out for Aaron, uh, Aram Naharayim and made his way to the town of Nahor. He had the camels near, near down near the well outside of the town. It was toward evening, the time the women go out to draw water. Then he prayed, O Lord, God of my master Abraham, give me success today. And show kindness to my master Abraham. See, I am standing beside this spring, and the daughters of the townspeople are coming out to draw water. May it be that when I say to a girl, please let down your jar that I may have a drink, she says, drink, and I'll water your camels too. Let her be the one you have chosen for my servant, for your servant Isaac. By this I will know that you have shown kindness to my master. Now, there's a couple things you need to notice here. First, Abraham is now a very old man. He is, uh, he is roughly 140 at this time. Uh, he's a very old man, and he's doing the one thing that he must do to ensure the continuance of God's covenant with him, which is to find a wife for his son. Now, this is not necessarily a recommendation. Parents, some of you might be inclined toward arranging marriages for your kids. That's not necessarily um, a scriptural principle that you need to apply just because uh, that's how they did it in Abraham's day. Although, if some of you would like to get together and talk about who might marry my daughters, we'll see. Okay, <laughs> um, serious enough, um, you know, not everything that's in the Bible uh, is necessarily uh, a, something that you have to follow just because it's there. Lots of the text is simply descriptive. This is what happened. And according to the cultural custom of that day, what you did was you arranged marriages for your children. Uh, and in this case, it actually even works out for to become a, a loving relationship. Uh, but Abraham needs to do this. He needs to find a wife for his son because if there is no third generation, there will not be a fourth generation. Amen? If your grandparents didn't have any kids, it's very likely you won't either. And so, <laughs> in any case, um, it's pretty hard to see how Abraham ever gets to millions and millions of descendants that God has promised him if the only child of the covenant remains unmarried. But Abraham himself does not want to go. He can't go. Why? Because God has called him out of that land and away from his father's household, and he is not to go back. And he for sure does not want his son Isaac to go back himself because his fear is, is that if Isaac leaves, he won't ex experience the blessing of God of being in the land. He needs to be in the land. So what, what are we going to do? Well, we're going to pick a servant. And he picks the chief servant, the one who is the chief steward. This is probably the one that's referred to in earlier chapters as Eliezer of Damascus, the one that Abraham was worried was going to inherit all of his estate because he hadn't had any kids yet. And he sends this man, this chief servant, uh, to, to go. And it's pretty clear that not just any pretty girl will work as a wife for his son. Because he says, look, you are not, he says this twice, you are not to get a wife from the Canaanites. You're not to do that. Do not get a wife from the Canaanites. Why? 
because the Canaanite people were pagan. They did things like child sacrifice, among other uh, kinds of immoral, evil activities. If you want to know the specifics, you can look at Leviticus, and I believe it's about chapter 17. It talks about all the things that the Canaanites did as aspects of their worship, and, and after each one, God says, don't do this, it's an abomination before God. And if you want to have a godly legacy, it helps to have, a, have godly people marry godly people. So do not marry a Canaanite. Not just any girl will work. Well, where are you going to find one? Well, you've, you've automatically made this task a little more difficult because there aren't a lot of godly people around. They're all surrounded by Canaanites. He says, well, uh, you need to find someone who believes in the true God. Where am I going to find one? Well, from my own clan. Again, not necessarily a recommendation just because it's in the Bible. But he sends him back to his own, his own clan, his own family, the descendants of his brother Nahor. Um, and by the way, just as an aside, for those of you who are single, who might be someday or maybe currently looking for a mate, I will tell you that this principle of marry inside the family of God, not necessarily inside your immediate family, but inside the family of God still applies. Paul says this, he says, if someone wants to get married, they may marry who they wish, only in the Lord, marry in the faith. Because one of the purposes of marriage is the multiplication of a godly legacy. And if you marry outside the faith, you make that task very much harder. If you do not believe me, ask someone who is married to an unbeliever, and they will tell you that it is the grief of their life to be married to someone who does not share at the deepest level of their spiritual life the commitment that they have made. And so Abraham underlines, you need to be sure that you get not just any girl, but a God-fearing, Yahweh-worshiping girl. And the best place to go get her is inside of my clan, part of my family. So he sends back to the one place he knows that he can get this, and he makes a makes the servant swear an oath. He says, God has been faithful to me, and, and God is going to be faithful to you because I know this is what God wants me to do, is to find a woman to marry my son to carry on the family. Uh, and God is going to do whatever is necessary. Now, he says, Servant, you're gonna, I want you to make a covenant with me that you're going to carry this out. And he does so. He says, place your hand under my thigh. Uh, that's probably euphemistic. Uh, it's a very, very serious oath, probably a self-cursing oath in which a, the person taking it is calling down harm on that part of their body that he is touching should he fail to carry out what is doing and because this and the reason he has him touching that part of his body is because it's all about the continuation of his own line the idea is that i fail to secure a, a son a, a wife for for my master's son so that his line fails may my line also fail 
the idea. And finally, the servant is on his way, and he has a long journey and a hard job. He has to, how is he going to find a suitable wife for his, for his master's son? It needs to be not only a God-fearing woman, but it needs to be a woman of character. Obviously, those shouldn't be mutually exclusive, but sometimes they are. Uh, sometimes belief and behavior don't correlate all that well. And so he says, I've got to come up with a test to identify who the God-fearing women of character are, and I've got to do so without really knowing or being able to be here long-term to observe. So he says, well, when the women all come out to draw water, that was considered to be the woman's job in that culture was to get water, and they would get water twice a day, in the early in the morning when it was cool and at night as the sun went down when it was also cool. If you're in a desert environment, that's when you want to be outside. And so he says, I'll just sit here and I'll wait until the women come out to draw water, and I'll look for the one who is generous and hospitable. Because it's, you know, lots of people might give you a drink out of their water pot, but how many are going to water 10 camels? A camel can drink a lot of water, a lot of water. It's going to make multiple trips back to the well fill up the trough to get enough water for all these camels plus all these people. And so this is a good test. This is The thought is, I'm going to look for the woman who exhibits the most God-honoring character, the one who is generous, the one who is self-sacrificial, who is looking out not just for herself and her own needs, but for, but for other people as well, because she will make a good wife. And... So he prays, God, please let this be the sign that I will see. What's going to happen? Let's find out. Before he had finished praying, Rebecca came out with her jar on her shoulder. She was the daughter of Bethuel, son of Milcah, who was the wife of Abraham's brother Nahor. The girl was very beautiful, a virgin. No man had ever lain with her. She went down to the spring, filled her jar, and came up again. The servant hurried to meet her and said, Please, give me a little water from your jar. Drink, my lord, she said, and quickly lowered the jar to her hand and gave him a drink. After she had given him a drink, she said, I'll draw water for your camels, too, until they have finished drinking. So she quickly emptied her jar into the trough, ran back to the well to draw more water, and drew enough for all his camels. Without saying a word, the man watched her closely to learn whether or not the Lord had made his journey successful. When the camels had finished drinking, the man took out a gold nose ring weighing a becca and two gold bracelets weighing ten shekels. When, then he asked, Whose daughter are you? Please tell me, is there room in your father's house for us to spend the night? She answered him, I am the daughter of Bethuel, the son that Milcah bore to Nahor. And she added, we have plenty of straw and fodder as well as room for you to spend the night. Then the man bowed down and worshipped the Lord, saying, Praise be to the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not abandoned his kindness and faithfulness to my master. As for me, the Lord has led me on the journey to the house of my master's relative. The girl ran and told her mother and household about these things. 
Now Rebekah had a brother named Laban, and he hurried out to the man at the spring. As soon as he had seen the nose ring and the bracelets on his sister's arms, and had heard Rebekah tell what the man had said to her, he went out to the man and found him standing by the camels near the spring. Come, you who are blessed by the Lord, he said. Why are you standing out here? I've prepared the house and the place for the camels. So the man went to the house, and the camels were unloaded. Straw and fodder were brought for the camels, and water for him and his men to wash their feet. Then food was set before him, but he said, I will not eat until I have told you what I have to say. Then tell us, Laban said. Now, this is interesting. I want you to see this. One of the first girls that he sees is this young woman, Rebecca. Virgin girl, ideal quality for a mate, good. And she just happens to show up even before he's done praying. Here she comes. And she just happens to be a beautiful girl from the right family. And she just happens to respond to the servant's request in exactly the way that he had just been praying. And I want you to see that these things are they're presented in the story as coincidental. Almost. But these things didn't just happen. Notice what, how the servant responds. He praises God immediately. He praises him for his kindness and faithfulness. His chesed to him and to his master. He says, because he knows, he has eyes to see, that these things are not simply coincidental. These didn't just happen. It didn't, it's not an accident. God is at work. And he gives this girl a nose ring. Uh, my daughters, that's not a recommendation. From the scriptures that you get one, <laughs> all right. <laughs> um, wait till you're at least eighteen. Um, but he gives this girl a nose ring, which is, uh, you know, I've actually seen that on some women, and it looks lovely. And apparently, in this uh, idea, in this culture, it's it's kind of a, a symbol of beauty and loveliness. And uh, he gives her also some bracelets. Uh, the weight on these things is about. Four ounces of gold and a bracelet on her wrist, which is pretty nice as a gift. Uh, and it's about a fifth of an ounce of gold in this nose ring that he gives her to wear. And off she goes to mom to tell everybody what's happened. Hey, I met this man, and he gave me some stuff. Check it out. And Laban, her brother, who is uh, the man who is uh, most responsible for her in that culture, uh, your, it was your brother. Uh, who would be responsible for negotiating the bride price for you and giving you away uh, at your wedding, uh, goes out to meet this man and find out, who is this fella that's giving random gold objects to my sister? And they meet, and they he brings him into the house. Uh, but as they sit down to eat, the man insists on telling his story. And everybody's waiting for for the servant to tell his story. So let's hear the servant's story. Verse 34. So he said, I am Abraham's servant. 
The Lord has blessed my master abundantly, and he's become wealthy. He has given him sheep and cattle, silver and gold, men servants and maid servants, and camels and donkeys. My wife's my master's wife Sarah has borne him a son in her old age, and has given him a, uh, he has given him everything he owns. And my master made me swear an oath and said, "You must not get a wife for my son." from the daughters of the Canaanites in whose land I live, but go to my father's family and to my own clan and get a wife for my son. Then I asked my master, what if the woman will not come back with me? He replied, the Lord before whom I have walked will send his angel with you and make your journey a success so that you can get a wife for my son from my own clan and from my father's family. Then when you go to my clan, you will be released from my oath, even if they refuse to give her to you be released from my oath. When I came to the spring today, I said, O Lord, God of my master Abraham, if you will, please grant success to the journey on which I have come. See, I'm standing beside this spring. The maiden comes out to draw water, and I say to her, please let me drink a little water from your jar. And if she says to me, drink, and I'll draw water for your camels too, let her be the one the Lord has chosen for my master's son. Before I finished praying in my heart, Rebecca came out with her jar on her shoulder. She went down to the spring and drew water, and I said to her, please give me a drink. She quickly lowered her jar from her shoulder and said, drink, and I'll water your camels too. So I drank, and she watered the camels also. I asked her, whose daughter are you? She said, the daughter of Bethuel, son of Nahor, who Milcah bore to him. Then I put the ring in her nose and the bracelets on her arms, and I bowed down and worshipped the Lord. I praised the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who had led me on the right road to get my granddaughter, get the granddaughter of my master's brother for his son. Now, if you will show kindness and faithfulness to my master, tell me, and if not, tell me, so that I may know which way to turn. Laban and Bethuel answered, this is from the Lord. We can say nothing to you one way or the other. Here is Rebekah, take her and go, and let her become the wife of your master's son as the Lord has directed. When Abraham's servant heard what they said, he bowed down to the ground before the Lord. Then the servant brought out gold and silver jewelry and articles of clothing and gave them to Rebekah. He also gave costly gifts to her brother and to her mother. Then he and the men who were with him ate and drank and spent the night there. When they got up the next morning, he said, Send me on my way to my master. But her brother and her mother replied, Let the girl remain with us ten days or so, then you may go. But he said to them, Do not detain me now that the Lord has granted success to my journey. Send me on my way so that I may go to my master. Well, the servant tells his story, and he convinces everybody of what is actually true, that these events, as they have happened, didn't just happen, but they happened because the Lord was at work. And understandably, her family is a little bit reluctant to let her go so soon because they know that they will probably not see her again, ever. And just imagine this if you're the parents. Some stranger rides into town, tells you a little story about meeting your daughter at the well and how she got some water for his camels, and now that's the perfect, that's, that's all, I, all the information I need. She's the ideal girl. Uh, saddle her up on one of my camels, and we're taking off for parts unknown. How many of you would go, 
you know, really, that's a great idea. <laughs> no. Um, you know, wealth and all that aside that's being exchanged for your daughter, uh, this is not something they're prepared to do from the Lord or not. And, uh, and you know, give them, let's have some time to adjust and adapt to this idea. Can you give us 10 days? No, I can't give you 10 days. The Lord has given me success on my journey. I'm going to give you a substantial dowry, and then I'm going back home, my master, with your daughter. And, um, and yet, you know, this story is repeated now twice, right? Once in the actual events and once in the retelling. Why? Emphasize that the Lord is at work in these events. Even though, I mean, the servant is crediting the Lord being at work, the family is recognizing that the Lord is at work, but it's not immediately obvious that the Lord is at work. It's just a set of circumstances. And you have to be looking with the eyes of faith to even be able to see that, in fact, this is not just a major coincidence. And that God is working through very ordinary circumstances of a girl at a well with a generous heart. And yet they do, in fact, see that. And and so they, they decide in, in the next little section here to let the girl decide what she's going to do. Says they, so they said, let's call the girl and ask her about it. So they called Rebecca and asked her, will you go with this man? I will go, she said. So they sent their sister Rebecca on her way along with their nurse and Abraham's servant and his men, and they blessed Rebecca and said to her, Our sister, may you increase to thousands upon thousands. May your offspring possess the gates of their enemies. Then Rebecca and her maids got ready and mounted their camels and went back with the man. And so the servant took Rebecca and left. Now Isaac had come from Beir Bahairoi, for he was living in the Negev. He went out to the field one evening to meditate, and as he looked up, he saw camels approaching. Rebecca also looked up and saw Isaac. She got down from her camel and asked the servant, Who is that man in the field coming to meet us? He is my master, the servant. So she took her veil and covered herself. Then the servant told Isaac all he had done. Isaac brought her into the tent of his mother, Sarah, and he married Rebekah, so she became his wife. He loved her. And Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. Well, what happened? Well, Rebekah decides that she is willing to show this kind of loyal love to a man she has never met. Because she believes in the same God that he does. And she can see that God is at work showing Hesed to bring her and him together. And so after they meet, Rebecca and Isaac fall in love and get married. Isaac loves this girl and she brings joy to his heart after his mother dies. He worked, God worked through a long kind of drawn out process. Uh, but nevertheless of some rather ordinary circumstances to ensure the continuation of his promise to Abraham that his chosen people would continue on. 
And I said at the beginning, and I tried to emphasize this several times, that God is the hero of this story. In fact, God is the hero of the entire Bible. If you read it right, God is the hero of the entire Bible. But God is the hero of this story uh, because he is showing his sovereign, covenantal, loyal love to Abraham and to Isaac and to Rebekah, to this servant, all the way through. Uh, even Laban, Rebekah's brother, whom we will meet later, who is not a particularly godly man, <laughs> recognizes that God is at work. Again, there's no miracle here. There's no prophetic word where you know a prophet comes and speaks forth and tells, you know, this is what you're to do. Uh, there's no vision. There's no appearance from God. There's not even a restatement of the Abrahamic covenant that God has with Abraham. But what we do see is that in spite of the lack of anything like all that spectacular miraculous, that God is still at work. God is still working on behalf of those who are looking to him in faith because there are all kinds of things that could have gone wrong here. In this whole deal, all kinds of things that, that could have gone wrong. For, for Just for instance, the servant could have failed. He could have abandoned his mission entirely. Yeah, it's about time I got loose from that guy. I'm heading off down the road to somewhere else. He could have just punted and said, oath or not, I'm getting out of here. I'm not, I'm not following through on this. This is not a job that I want, and the old man will not remember me uh, even if I am gone. Uh, the sign could have been missed. If you weren't looking for it, you could have missed it, even though here comes the girl, here comes some an opportunity to have water drawn and so forth. And even if she had drawn water for his camels, he could have been like, well, that's just way too coincidental. We'll keep trying. You know, like the guy who prayed for God to deliver him from the flood. You've heard that joke, right? And flood's coming, and guy in a canoe comes by. Hey, get in the boat. And the guy's like, no, God's going to deliver me. And he's up, later he's, he's up in the second story of the house. Coast Guard cutter comes by. Hey, get in the boat. Uh, no, don't worry about me. God's going to deliver me. All right. Later on, he's up on the roof. Guy's in a chopper coming by. Hey, get in the <laughs> Hang on to this ladder. We're pulling you in. Don't worry about me. God's going to deliver me. Flood rises. The guy drowns. Shows up before God. Hey, what happened, God? He says, he goes, why didn't you deliver? He goes, I sent you a canoe, a Coast Guard cutter, and a helicopter. What do you want? <laughs> okay. Um, and in the same way, this servant could have missed this sign, even though it was the exact one he prayed for. Could have missed it when it happened. Uh, Laban could have refused to allow Rebecca to leave. Rebecca herself might have been unwilling to go. Excuse me, what? You want me to get on one of these camels and trot off to you to marry some random fella I've never met? I appreciate that based on your testimony, he believes in the same God that I do, 
but that's hardly enough of an endorsement to have me trek a few hundred miles through the desert with some random person I've just met. All of this could have gone wrong, and yet none of it did. Why? Because God is still at work in their circumstances, even in the ordinary stuff of their life, working it together, bringing them, uh, bringing Isaac and Rebekah together despite a separation of hundreds of miles. Showing his covenant, faithful, loyal love. All these people. And in this story, you know, there's not maybe necessarily a whole lot of application for us, you know. Like I wouldn't necessarily advise finding a wife this way. Like here, I'm going to go hang out down by the river. Whichever girl will give me a drink, um, I'm going to marry. If it's this river, that would definitely be a bad idea be a girl who wants you dead um but um you know there's not necessarily a recommendation from that perspective but here's the reality that i think is here for us that this is a story much like ours most of us don't have vision we don't have most of us a specific prophetic word at important junctures in our lives where god's prophet shows up and says hey do this. That's God's will. We don't have that. We don't have uh, a miracle from God necessarily directing our paths and our choices. But what we do have is a relationship with God that operates, I think, by the same faith that Abraham, Isaac, Becca, and the servant all demonstrated. They knew that God loved them and that he would be faithful to them and that he would show them his loyal love in their circumstances. And they looked to him to work even in the ordinary way that God does continue. And so as I conclude, let me just ask you, do you trust God who has shown his loyal love to you? supremely in Jesus Christ? Do you trust him to lead you through the ordinary, behind-the-scenes working in your circumstances to bring his will for you about? God is supremely trustworthy and has demonstrated it over and over and over that he is trustworthy that you can lean on him and look to him in faith and that he will deliver even through the working of just ordinary life. That God has a plan and a purpose that he is bringing about through your circumstances in your life and that he is going to show you day by day his steadfast, loyal, covenant love with you. Because remember, Abraham's not the only one with a covenant, amen? We have a, we're members and participants in a covenant too, the new covenant, which is made in the blood of Christ, which we're going to celebrate here in just a second. But sometimes I think that because we don't have these giant flashes of experiences, you know, we, we haven't, like I say, most of us ever gotten a prophetic word from anybody, haven't had any visions or dreams that, where God spoke directly to us. But God doesn't necessarily only work in that way. He also works in ordinary daily life. 
And those with eyes get it as God works to be faithful. So let's God, our